Hello and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 79. I am joined by Rob for our uh, annual end of the year discussion. Um, this is going to be the same format we've done I think for the last two years where we'll be splitting into two episodes. One where we discuss all our like sort of honourable mentions, all the stuff we've enjoyed this year. And then another where we do our like aggregated top 10 list, uh, which is going to be basically mine and Rob's top 10 sort of smashed together to come up with something that's normally fairly complimentary. But because there's only 10 albums, there's going to be loads in the honourable mentions that are like massive favourites of ours. Um, the the other thing to mention as well, because we're splitting out over two episodes, um, this is a clever tactic by us. So if there's any album we haven't mentioned that you think like, oh, I didn't come from the honourable mentions, you wait two weeks and think, yeah, it's going to be in the top 10. And then by the time it gets to that point, you won't hear it again, but hopefully we'll have forgotten. And just think, <laughs> we, we probably did mention it. You know, 2020 has been a stressful year. You probably just forgot that we mentioned it. <laughs> so we've definitely covered everything. <laughs> Yeah, I think I was going to say, on that topic, 2020 has been an incredibly weird year for all sorts of things. But I think for music, definitely the thing that came away from doing all of this research is there's been some incredible stuff. I'm sure at some point we'll reach that, like, dip where, because people just haven't been able to go into studios, there will be a little bit less being released. But there's been some incredible stuff released this year. I've been blown away by just the scope and variety of stuff. Yeah, it, it it seems to have had no no effect. Like the the whole lockdown process seems to have no negative effect, other than, and I think most of the bands are kind of like turned around on this eventually. But I remember like March April time, a load of really big artists delaying the release of their albums, like having albums fully recorded and say, oh, we're not going to put these out while while everyone's in lockdown because we can't tour it. But I think most of those bands actually just ended up putting it out later in the year when it became apparent that. The kind of the lockdown phase is going to last more than basically a year by the looks of it. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. I think what we're going to see actually, and I I've through like my own bands, I started noticing this. Apparently, for the new year, studios are getting booked up like crazy because <laughs> bands who haven't been playing live have written whole albums at home. So I think twenty twenty one is going to be a year of like maybe less releases but loads of bands recording then like late 21 22 i think we're gonna get an absolute deluge of new music yeah which... def- definitely listening to interviews with like various different bands they've just sort of been saying yeah well we've been stuck at home so we've just been writing and writing and writing and coming up with loads and loads of stuff so that's going to be quite exciting um Hopefully they're not all COVID themed. Um, hopefully we can avoid as much of that as possible. I, I think Big Will from Heavy Hole is already on a crusade against any kind of um, brutal death metal themed around COVID at the moment <laughs> as being already the most uninspired lyrical topic ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so on a more personal note, like Rob, how have you? How has like 2020 sort of being at home so much more affected your music listening? It's been a really weird one because I think talking to many different people, people have had very different ways of it affecting how you listen to music. For me, I think weirdly it's made it a lot harder and I think I've listened to music less. Um, It's one of those things where um, because I've been at home 
alone or with my partner like a lot of the time when I'm working I've kind of just needed another human voice um so I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and things like that just to have that sort of human contact type thing um equally uh, working from home I haven't been commuting and commuting I tend to do an hour to an hour and a half um either way which is a massive block of time which I normally use to fill with music so that disappeared and then it was sort of well you know how do I find that time? So, you know, I started going on, you know, long walks and stuff like that to try to get some music listening time in. But, um, yeah, I reckon I listened to a lot less um, and actually found it a bit harder. Like, it, there was still loads of good stuff and I still listened to loads, but I definitely think for me it was more difficult. Um, how about yourself? So, like, obviously I've lost the commute as well. I'm, in, I'm entirely working from home now. For me, I think I've actually listened to more because I can have my headphones on listening to metal, like, all day at work now. Where like unless I'm unless I'm in a meeting or on a call with someone, because I, yeah, I no one can see me, so I look perfectly engaged while I'm doing that. So I think if anything, and probably listeners of the podcast have noticed this, like this has been the most consistent year we've ever had for putting out episodes because I can do more research and I'm at home for recording more. So like I've actually managed to keep it, especially in recent months, pretty strictly to like putting something out every two weeks. The only thing is, I've been doing so many research projects for the podcast, possibly some of the 2020 listening has slipped where I've been digging out more obscure old stuff rather than rather than picking up all the current releases. I think in the end of the year, though, I've, I've picked up enough This should be at least vaguely interesting if a, if a little surface level. I think it's one, of, it's one of those things that's really hard to strike a balance with at any time is like digging back into stuff that you've missed versus listening to new and exciting stuff. You're never going to strike a perfect balance between those things. You know, you want to be keeping up to date, but you don't want to just forget about something that's old because there's millions of great bands that you've never listened to. Yeah, well, as I found like sort of doing that Roadrunner retrospective, there was loads of stuff on there being like, how have I never listened to Fate's Warning or Sadus at this point? Like... <laughs> They're both bands I've heard the name a million times, but like I've listened to about two songs from each and realised, yeah, at some point I've got to, got to dive into those discographies because particularly Sadist seems incredibly my thing and I don't know how I've always missed it. But yeah, so for this episode, um, the way me and Rob are going to go through it is probably just group bands together by genre and go through all the kind of albums we've enjoyed for those and then do some of like the the other bits and pieces towards the end, like splits, live stuff, uh, pretty discussed the good um, live streaming we've seen this year, which has been another weird development of um, of like everyone being at home. Yeah, so as Rob says, like I think there has been such a deluge of stuff. Like um, it, it, it's, it's been brilliant. There's been no slowdown releases. So as I say, we're going to run through these in like kind of vague genre order. And my notes are in no particularly good order, but the 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 general subgenre I've start things with is just generic death metal with uh, no no addendum tags on it. So Rob, have you got anything for this one this year you really enjoyed? Yeah, there's a few things. Um of, of the sort of just straightforward death metal, a few things I really liked. Um Necrot's Mortal um was really good fun. It had a proper like old school death metal sound. Like it sounded like an 80s or 90s death metal band recorded with modern techniques. It hit that 
perfect sort of level where it sounded dirty and nasty enough, but it did. It had all of those modern things that production brings. It sounded really clear, but yeah, just like had that nastiness to it. I really enjoyed it. It's just a throwback to great old death metal. How do you think it compares to their uh, debut Blood Offerings? I think it's Blood Offerings their debut. I think I think it is Blood Offerings. Yeah. Um. I'm not sure yet which one I prefer. Um, I think I prefer that this one to me sounds a little bit nastier and I quite like that. Um, I think the sound on it seems much more confident. Um, Overall, I'd say the sort of songwriting seems fairly similar. It's all within the same vein, but I think it just feels tighter and like they've really honed in on exactly the sound that they want to get. But Blood Offerings is also really good, so... You know, it would be hard for them to massively outdo it. Yeah, so uh, like, I enjoy Negro. I think they're a really decent band. But every year they put something out, I find they're overshadowed by some of their relate- related groups. So I think like when Blood Offerings came out, Vastum put out uh, an album at the same time. Vastum featuring about half Necro's lineup at this point. Um, and I, I've always enjoyed like Vassum's slightly gnarlier sound. And then another sort of quite related band, Ulfar, which has Vastum's other guitarist in it, uh, put out their second album, Providence, which I, I they, for me just totally overshadowed the Necrot release. And I think I always end up listening to this instead. So um, yeah, Ulfar are this really cool... They've got a load of musicians I really like. like they... Um, I think he plays uh, guitar and bass for them. Steve Peacock of um, of like myriad product projects, but particularly particular favorite of mine is um, uh, Apprentice Destroyer. Um, this is like him with uh, Shelby of Vastum and uh, Extremity, who's like this really decent sort of guitarist slash uh, screen vocalist, doing just really nasty, gnarly death metal. Uh, have you given this one a go, Rob? Because I know you really like no, the last. I, I, I really like the last one, and I only found out like during the research for this that they released another one, and I was sort of kicking myself that I hadn't got around to listening to it. Uh, yeah, because genuinely for me, I think like I really like the um, the original album, the Cosmovore. I think their their last one. Um, yeah, I thought it was amazing, but this I think is a step up on like all fronts. It's just it is just incredible sounding like. They, they've nailed the tone so well. The, the vocals sound really furious. The playing is really spectacular without ever being showy. It's just an amazing release. And the cover is absolutely hideous. This, like, bizarre <laughs> rotten tree made of genitals. <laughs> <laughs> Such um, a good album an- cover. <laughs> another one I really liked coming from one that I think we'll talk about in a little bit was um, Glorious Depravity, uh, who released an album called Ageless Violence. Um, and this is coming from Doug Moore of Prion. Um, and this brings a more sort of traditional death metal, but it's really, really energetic. It has this sort of quite grindy edge. It's got a really well-balanced production, which gives it this incredible like aggression, but also the sort of polish that you'd expect from modern death metal and it's also really cool to hear like Doug doing some stuff that's a bit groovier like you just don't hear groove in Prion because it's all over the place but Glorious Depravity have a few of those riffs that are much groovier and his vocals over the top are just phenomenal he's a fantastic vocalist so it's great hearing him do something which is really aggressive but much more accessible than Prion I really like the Prion album but it's a demanding listen whereas this if you like death metal like you're going to get on with this really well 
Yeah, as you say, it's really nice to see Doug like just sort of have his vocals shown off in a more um, accessible context. Because I think with that band, they they pry on a so hard work. They um, some of the talent of the musicians sort of gets overshadowed by the just, just the complexity of the compositions. Uh, one I really enjoyed uh, from J- Japan uh, is Frost Four with Drowned in Blood, which is a real like kind of HM2 worship project that just just nailed that sound really well i don't they it's one of those ones i struggle to put my finger on quite why it works so well but they just they just nailed a very traditional death metal album by just getting everything just to sound just right i don't know if you came across frostmore at all yeah yeah i did see this one and uh, yeah i had a similar thing of just like listening to it and thinking when i think about it it's like oh this just sounds like good death metal but then keeping on coming back to it there was something about them getting that tone just right like backing out of everything it wasn't just living off of like an hm2 style guitar sound like the bass tone and the drums and everything else like meshed with it really really well um yeah i really enjoyed that one yeah, talking of one that got the tone just right, though, this this is definitely, I think, the best mixed death metal album, my best guitar tone um, put out this year, was Ripped to Shreds with, I think it's their second full-length, Fluan, which is Andrew Lee's one-man death metal project. Have you come across Ripped to Shreds at all, Rob? I wasn't able to give their one this year a listen, so I'm really intrigued because I've heard really good things about it. Yeah, I, I was I was absolutely blown away by this one. So I think last last year I talked about their EP uh, Demonic Scriptures, which really amazing, like twenty minutes of this hyper focused, seriously intense death metal. Like this, it kind of it isn't very throwback. I say it feels more modern, just in the kind of pace and intensity of it. And like Andrew Lee's, like kind of almost like slightly grind inspired vocals. Um, yeah, that side of it is absolutely brilliant. It's also got some amazing endorsements of having guest solos from like modern guitar legend Phil Tugas on it is on it. And uh Takifumi Matsubara is also guitarist of Gridlink is also also playing on it. So you've got like these two legendary musicians dropping in and like the um the guest solo from Phil Tugas, if you're not expecting it, is so amazing. Cause the album is this real like gruesome nasty death metal and then all of a sudden on opening salvo you just get this moment of like necrophagist level ultra shred cut through (laughs) this like really gnarly mix with this like utterly perfect guitaring yeah that that was absolutely amazing but yeah I, i think it was um yeah like tom from heavy hole podcast was talking about just how this is like the most in the pocket death metal mix he's heard all year uh, yeah, I'm really impressed by it. Great album cover as well. But this is definitely, like, I think this was like number eight on my album of the year list. It didn't quite make our top ten.
uh, one of my favorite death metal albums of this year was um, the second album from Of Feather and Bone, um, Sulfuric Disintegration. And this is just the nastiest death metal album that's been released this year. Its guitar tone sounds like it's going to kill you. Uh, like it ha- really has the feeling of like when you first listen to Morbid Angel and going, what the fuck are they doing? Uh, like it, it plays around with some of the things that we'll talk about with bands like Gorguts or Ulcerate, where they can just build this horrible sense of chaos, but it does it firmly within a more traditional death metal context. It has these bizarre riffs, um, and I really feel like they've improved upon, I think it was Bestial Hymns of Perversion was the first album. This one feels way, way tighter. The riff writing so much better, um, but it keeps that just horrible nastiness and like sort of oppressive heaviness that the last one had um, and has one of my favourite song titles like most death metal song title of all year of Baptised in Boiling Phlegm <laughs> That's amazing Yeah, for whatever reason I didn't get on that well with the of Feather and Bone debut but Sulfuric Disintegration I thought was absolutely amazing I think something about the mix of the debut because they, they have this sound where like the drums are so front and centre and on the debut, that was a bit much for me. But on this one, they, they've just touched that up enough that it, it suddenly sounded amazing. I mean, the riffing and the musicianship were always there. Like, that drum performance is incredible. And the vocals are really cool. And they're a bit clearer on this album. So I think that really helped me get into it. Yeah, I think particularly a lot of that stuff is because they create some of these, you know, slightly more chaotic segments. Like, you really need a good mix for that to work. If you get the mix slightly wrong, like, it will sort of just push you off as a listener. Like, it won't, you won't know if it's intentional. But with the right mix, that sort of chaos just adds to the intensity of it. Um, and I think, like, just the riff writing and their songwriting has just improved onto the second album. So, yeah, massive step up. imagine you've heard rob because you normally tend to be up on this band what do you reckon to the new vader album so i actually haven't checked out the new vader album which yeah feels really weird to me 
Yeah, so um, Solitude and Madness, the latest one, I really liked because I sort of, I think I fell off with Vader around um, Welcome to the Morbid Reich, I really liked, but the few after that, I not so much didn't like, but just didn't put any time into. And going back to this one, it sounds really amazing. So I think it's basically the same lineup as Welcome to the Morbid Reich, and yeah, they've they've just really nailed it again. There's, there's nothing on this you've not heard on a Vader album before, but they're doing the Vader sound really well, which for me, dipping in once every five years or so is really exciting. And yeah, I do think this is one one of the stronger albums they've put out in the last like 15, 20 years. Oh, that's that's really cool to hear. Yeah, I think I had the same thing of just like, you know, listened to a few current Vader albums and been like, okay, yeah, I get it. And then just sort of checking out for a little bit. But that's, yeah, cool to hear that you can drop back in and they're still doing good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth revisiting. Um, a couple of local ones I want to plug, which I thought were really good. Um, Dias Holocaustum, who are a Bristol-based band, playing real, like, OSDM worship music, but doing it incredibly well, put out their debut album, Scorched Promised Land. So their drummer is in Body Harvest, who are a local band we've plugged a few times, and they're, they're one of their guitarists is in... Um, Oh my god, why am I blanking? Voluntas. Voluntas, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, being slow there. Yeah, one of the guitarists is in Voluntas, and like, so both local bands are really impressive. But I, with this band, they're just doing something I really enjoy. They're really, these guys really know their like early 90s death metal inside out. And like, the level of riffing and stuff on this is, is absolutely brilliant. Obviously, with Body Harvest Drummer, they are capable of going extremely fast into like the blasting sections but actually there's a shit ton of like slow down like melodic sections which are totally different from that drummer's other work although actually he's now live drummer for Lichgate as well so he's doing all sorts of interesting stuff but yeah Dears Holocaustum like say it's only their debut but this is definitely one to watch they seem to be really active at the moment and yeah they're genuinely competing with any of the other old school death metal I've heard this year like this is this is right up there. Yeah, I think two of the things that stood out for that for me was like, there's actually, there's some really cool lead guitar work um, on there, which like you wouldn't notice at first because you're just sort of like, oh, this is just pretty solid. Like this is really great old school death metal. But if you look at some of those more melodic sections or even in some of like the faster shreddier bits, there's some really nice lead guitar work, which adds a lot. Um, And yeah, the drums are phenomenal. Like they're, again, one of the things I really noticed, like um, is there's some really nice sort of cymbal work, like the kind of thing that you might hear in some of the techier deaf bands where there's a lot of like moving between the bell of the cymbals um, and the sort of main body of it and moving between cymbals. There's lots of nice little subtleties like that, which I think bring out something really cool out of that old school death metal theme just a few of those more modern techniques you find in there um yeah i really enjoyed this one
another really amazing one uh, is, and I've pro- plugged this one on the podcast before, The Humanaut with Dust in the Giant's Hand, which is um, primarily Katie Montgomery's, like, I, essentially she wrote the whole album herself as the guitarist and bass player and recruited a, a drummer and vocalist for the album recording. And this is a really great kind of, like, modern death thrash with touch of melodic death metal in there. And it's something I'd always compliment of as essentially having one person doing all the guitar and bass work there's some really interesting bass work in there as well like like nothing's really neglected despite it being that relatively singular vision also just loads of great like dive bomb whammy bar like solo action over a really slick put together uh, yeah as i guess say like death thrash melodic death metal album yeah, f- fantastically full of riffs in one of those ways where like you listen to a song and you're like, there's about five riffs which could have been songs by themselves <laughs> yeah. in there. Um, and it, yeah, did a really good job of like pulling that down from something where you'd be tempted to make it much longer and, you know, have, you've got all these different riffs. How do we put them together into something that's cool? Actually being really restrained about it and giving every bit part of the song the time that it needs but keeping that energy by not over bloating which i think is easy to do when you have so many riffs like you know you could this easily could have been pushed into something far far longer but i think keeping that energy and keeping that brevity to it yeah it just makes it so much more exciting to listen to i quite enjoyed venom prisons primeval um i thought it was an interesting one it felt like there was a little bit of um sort of grind almost cattle decapitation influence coming into parts of it particularly in the vocal department with like more of these high shrieks um had some mixed in cleans as well that i thought was really nice like changing up what they were doing really nice guitar leads which i think worked really well with some of those more grindy death metal-y sections. Um, my only criticism of it is it suffers from the overly clicky bass drum, uh, which I find really distracting in, like, yeah, what is otherwise, like, a really aggressive but diverse album. Temple of Void put out their most recent album this year. Be a big fan of Temple of Void. Um, this is The World That Was. Uh, and this is Temple of Void lean into, like, slow and heavy with, like, the most guttural of guttural deep vocals that you've ever heard. Um, This one, to me, feels a bit more expansive than Lords of Death, their previous, and I loved Lords of Death. Um, It gets a bit more atmospheric in places. It has a little bit more synths. It's a little bit slower. It doesn't have as much of the traditional death metal riffing. Um, But it's... Yes, yeah, so, so it's a bit more expansive and innovative in that way, but to me it feels a little less tightly honed. Um, again, it's a bit more experimental, they're trying something slightly different, but when it like um, gets into those just big, heavy riffs, uh, like I think A Wound That Never Heals off of this album, the riff on it is just incredible, and they have a really unique sound, which just makes riffs sound enormous. And their vocalist, like, continues to be incredible. Like, he has about two noises, but he does his, like, two noises as well as any death metal vocalist could possibly do them. So there's something, like, really great about listening to them when they hit their stride. Yeah, this, I haven't really got any more in this camp, so uh, have you got anything else? Um, I think probably the only other thing would be uh, Wake, uh, Devouring Ruin. Oh, sh- Yes, um, yes, I, I have, I have yeah. got this one to hand here. 
uh, yeah, which was a really... So from what I understand, I didn't really know Wake before this year, but this has been quite a change for them. Um, for me, this felt like a really awesome mix of like quite atmospheric-y death metal with like little hints of black metal in some of the guitaring and then some like sort of grind influence as well. Um, it had these really great sort of long expansive riffs which like evolved over time with the additional parts that they added in. Had these really cool like unnerving little leads that they put over the top of stuff like it really felt like a massive mosaic of different parts coming together and yet still had these grind like aggression parts um and again they did something which i think a lot of bands have been doing recently as they did that thing where you just create this controlled chaos within your songs to add to that intensity um which i thought worked really well so you know it it might not have reached the top, but like really, really interesting. And from what I hear, like quite a change of pace for the band as well. So really excited to see what they come out with next as well. Yeah, I've got some friends who sort of have been into them for a lot longer. And apparently they used to be sort of primarily chaotic grind. And that is now such a small part of their sound. But when they do do those bits, you can tell they've got pedigree in them, I guess. But yeah, the... It's amazing to hear those atmospheric bits are a new addition because they really nailed them on this album. Now we're going to move into a section I'm really excited for this year. Uh, this I've kind of stuck it together of tech death, progressive death, and melodic death metal as one thing. Like, all that kind of stuff. So, um, one, I don't know if you've heard that I sort of I want to like more than I do, but it has some amazing ideas, is uh, Azure Emotes' The Third Perspective which is Azure Remote's kind of like a super group of various, like, um, um, like various American, like, session guys, really. Like, most notably, it's got Monstrosity's current vocalist on it. But they do this really sort of avant-garde, weird tech death with loads of, like, massive, like, sci-fi keyboard moments and clean female vocals thrown in there. And, and and violin over over sci-fi tech death. It's <laughs> it's incredibly unique and weird because it's it's sort of almost got folk metal tinges in places, and it goes all over the place. But there is a lot of moments on this where they'll do like like a two-minute section will be the most creative thing you've heard in ages, but then it won't quite flow exactly as I want into the next. Bit, but it's it's one of those albums. It's unique enough. I'd highly recommend anyone give it a go. And it does have some moments of absolute genius. One I know you've listened to. Um, that I mean, maybe putting this in death metal's the wrong camp, <laughs> but I want to talk about it anyway. It countless skies with glow. So yes, it's another UK band. I I absolutely adored countless skies. Um, it is probably the only thing I've listened to outside of Devon Townsend, which gets a Devon Townsend atmosphere to it, which I think is fantastic fantastic it's um a really it's a really uplifting album um it's a sort of combination of these soaring leads massive orchestral keys like hints of like bits of black metal with tremolo picking um and then these clean vocals which like just feel like these operatic devin townsend style vocals uh, and it creates these incredibly massive like wall of sound type atmospheres which gives this really like so it's an atmosphere that reminds me of devin's early solo work which almost nothing makes me think of including devin's later work um where it feels at once very natural and you know it has that almost like folky black metal-y thing of like feeling like some uh, meditation on the natural world but also something that feels incredibly orchestral and dramatic 
And then they mix this with like some sort of really proggy sections, which feel like sort of groovy dream theater bits. Um, I really, really liked this album. Um, yeah, as I said, not, I've never heard another band recreate that sort of atmosphere. So I was, yes, yeah, super pleased to see that and created it all in a way that's entirely their own. This isn't to say that they're just doing that. Like they capture that atmosphere, but from a completely different direction and with loads of other stuff going on. So I would strongly recommend checking this one out. This was one as soon as I heard like the clean vocals kick in, I was like, oh, Rob has to hear this because <laughs> it's got, it, it, as you say, it has that, that kind of edge of early Devon, like, um, solo project to it although the the thing that really separates it is the other half of their sound when they're doing the screams is death metal like the the singer has a great death metal voice as well which is something devon townsend doesn't have and actually the name countless skies is taken from a bellacore song and they have some of that like bellacore kind of very um massive sounding melodic death metal to their sound as well but yeah like this was one um this is one of two albums this year where the clean vocals came in and I was like, I immediately love this. The guy has this just, this huge, like, vibrato, like, massively, like, vibrato voice where he just makes everything sound so bombastic and brilliant. Yeah, I, I was, like, I love this album for the clean vocals alone, but it is actually a really creative, like, melodic, progressive death metal album as well with that massive, like, wall of sound, like, chorus on everything like four layers of guitars like kind of um yeah it's it's a really big sounding yeah. album and, and, and in the midst of all the sort of like nasty albums we've been talking about this year it was really nice to have something that felt so positive as a musical statement and yet was still exciting and interesting i thought that was great and, and with a beautiful album cover that that yeah. kind of like um skyscape kind of thing going on yeah, it's, it's a, a really full package weird release for willow tip records i've felt they they're normally a, a kind of more brutal um more brutal label
One that I think, if say you've heard Countless Skies and Joy, um, I think very much in a similar vein, is Sweden's Descend with the Deviant. Um, which I, I think these guys are a relatively new tech death band, but um, I say tech death, like definitely tech death slash progressive death. But this one I really loved. It was another, like, it has that really bright, clean production, but just absolutely brilliant riffing throughout. They do loads of cool stuff of, um, like, riffs that keep getting referenced or slightly changed in other tracks later on, so the whole album feels like this really cool, continuous flow. There's some amazing use of, like, sort of, uh, some female vocals thrown in there, some clean stuff, and they have the the Rivers of Nile saxophone over a tech death uh, thing going on in one track, which... I'm now loving is just becoming a staple of this style of music. <laughs> like people are like Rivers and Nile invented that the idea of mixing those two, and everyone's gone. Oh, that's just a motif that works. Let's keep that going. <laughs> also, quite a similar cover to Countless Skies Glow, but yeah, uh, Descend just an absolutely brilliant like progressive um, progressive death metal album. So so many brilliant riffs and and also incredible musicianship. Like the solos are are ridiculous. Along the progressive side of things, another one that I really liked that I think we've mentioned before, um, 
this year was um, Dreykmir, uh, The Fruit of Barren Fields, uh, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, it's like an awesome mix of death and black and prog. It's really intricate and it has these like beautifully emotional riffs of the kind that you might find in something like Opeth or Agalok, where the guitar just manages to carry a huge amount of emotional power all by itself. And then you have these fantastic atmospheres created around it, brilliant like sort of Michael Ackerfeld style death metal vocals um, and it's one of those things that gives like that early Opeth feel but has a unique atmosphere of its own like it takes a lot of these influences from like black metal stuff a bit like earlier Opeth but f- manages to still feel very distinct feels again like very natural you know despite being something of programmed drums the programmed drums sound excellent um, yeah I really really liked this album yeah so full disclosure with this one like the guy uh, Dustin the guy behind it is is a fan of the podcast and he, he, he did mention his band to us ahead of time but you know that doesn't mean we, we'd plug it without question like me and Rod do genuinely love this and the fact it's an album with some leanings towards Morning Rise era Opeth which is a sound I, I absolutely love it's obviously got its own flavour but there there is an influence of that in there and that those moments like really stuck out to me and it's one of those brilliant one man projects where it is so clearly one person's vision executed exactly as they wanted with no outside influence it's a monster album as well I think it's about 75 minutes yeah. long but it's is really good for the whole of that runtime, which is yeah, incredibly brave for a debut. But I don't, I don't think it's bloated in any way. I yeah, I, as I say, go check it out. Obviously, we're not the most trustworthy, unbiased <laughs> on this one, but I, I do genuinely listen to it a lot. Yeah, um, another one again, like along a sim, well, similarish lines. Um, White Stones, which is the death metal side project from Martin Mendez of Opeth, released their first album. I probably can't pronounce this, Kurawi, um, which was a, was like a really interesting album. Um, I don't think I love it, but it had some fantastic moments. Um, it has really, really clean guitar tones for death metal. Like this is so, so far removed from something like A Feather and Bone that you would not recognize it's even death metal from the guitar tones. But because of how they've mixed it and how they've set those guitars up the bass shines through really clearly and i really like that like and it does that thing where the sort of guitars and the bass come together to make something that sounds heavy even though none of its constituent parts are heavy at all they do a nice thing with like little bits of dissonance like you know these sort of slightly pushed chords which give it that slightly heavier feel um it's got a lot of like cool grooves in it and slightly off song structures um heavy vocals like which work really well like creating that bit of a dissonance between the guitar tone and the vocal style but uh, i think ultimately it comes across as something which feels like if modern day opeth with their current sound were making death metal and like in at times that works really well and comes across as really unique um i just yeah for a first album it's really really cool i just don't think it all entirely sits together at this stage like They've sort of got that sound and they need to sort of decide where to go with it. But like the single Worms is really cool, really unsettling. And I really like that. This is one of those ones I remember uh, like uh, reading about it a bit before it came out and then never getting around to it. They clearly blew the marketing push too early. <laughs> like, 
Um, yeah, I, I need to, I need to check it out because I, I I mean I love that guy's bass playing in Opeth, so I'd love to see what this this looks like. But yeah, I have to say I I completely missed this one. Um, one of my like favorite sort of uh, this just generally favorite albums this year is yet another UK act, um, Ranox's Reflections Upon Darkness, which is an independent release. There's something there's some similarity to Count the Skies purely in how the album sounds. It's it, it's nowhere near as clean or positive. This is a pretty brutal progressive album. But um, it, it's it's sort of almost got like taken from like the modern gent scene in the in the tone of the guitars. Like they feel like those massive eight string like huge heft, and it's got the really like bright clear production with it, like a massive drum sound. Um, but at its core, it's really great technical death metal for say like the first like 15, 20 minutes. Of the album is just technical death metal with ludicrously flashy solos really good like heavy stompy riffs in places and then it just goes all off the map weird halfway through like we get there's lots of little moment there's like lots of minute long sections of clean vocals throughout the album and they are every time it sounds like a completely different vocalist is joined in like <laughs> it's the same guys but like the clean vocals sound completely different every time there's this whole like long atmospheric section some spoken word bits in between these moments of really brilliant death metal um it, it, yeah another one the the album cover's really brilliant it's um th this guy actually doing album covers he's only done a few but he's done the cover for afterbirth's four-dimensional flesh in human forms free uh, and this ranok album so basically this guy is doing your cover um it's you you know it's going to be a good album it appears <laughs> but yeah it, it like for me this is by far and away like the the progressive like sort of tech death album to check out this year barring the i think one might have made it to our top 10 beyond this yeah this one i was just absolutely floored by and they're a band i know through having seen live many years ago and yeah, then just happened to catch they they'd finally got a a second album out, and it, it's worth the wait. It's also about seventy five minutes again, and does not feel bloated. It's it's amazing stuff.
along those sort of lines, there was also um, Defeated Sanity's release, the Sanguinary Impetus, uh, which, like, it's just really cool to hear Defeated Sanity doing their thing. Their rhythm section is still one of the most impressive things in metal, bar none. Like, the bass and drum work on this album is absolutely incredible. It's just sort of, like... It's impossibly complex in a way that's really interesting. Like it never, it never stands still. It's always doing something. It's always got a weird flourish on it, or it's stopping and starting. But it's not doing that just for the sake of it. They can pack so many musical ideas in, which like give this feeling of intensity rather than just we are incredible musicians. Like into really short songs. Um, this is one I still need some more time with to fully digest. But yeah, it's just Defeated Sanity doing really cool stuff. I, I've always loved Defeated Sanity for basically just running with that early cryptopsy sound of taking that kind of like really brutal death metal with like jazzy flourishes and just going even more brutal and the thing that's amazing with their stuff is it every riff is still brutal death metal whatever strangeness they throw in there it never it never is not incredibly heavy um i have got brutal death metal off as a separate section but we'll <laughs> this this will just get a bit uh <laughs> a bit messy um yeah another one that probably more in line with some of the ones I'm talking about, nothing in common with Defeated Sanity, uh, Will's Dissolve put out, uh, I think their debut album, Echoes, which is one 33-minute long song, very much in the the crimson vein, where it's like, it, it's sort of, there's some repeating elements. This probably could have been five tracks, but I like the ambition of this. Um, okay, so this is, um, like, this is a really cool mix of, it's very much that thing of mixing back and forth between clean and scream vocals over these, like, hyper-progressive structures with elements like keyboards over the top of them. Uh, yeah, really musically complex. It goes through so many movements. They're a band, you, you, can, you can see their influences very clearly on the sleeve. Like, they clearly love that, like, watershed era opeth they they clearly like stuff like devon townsend like there's all that kind of in there but i i think the the route they go with echoes is is really interesting and it holds up as one one piece of music also and yet another really cool cover this amazing like super colorful like wormhole type picture yeah this this one i, I really loved i know i think it's been quite divisive but I guess for me, it's just it's channeling influences I love, and and I, I and they pull it off with real kind of ability. Like the clean vocals are brilliant. The the musicianship of the band is completely top notch. Yeah, I want to see more from these guys. Basically, um, on an equally controversial but probably indefinable from a genre point of view, there was um, Prion's um, Abscess Time, which was released this year, which I really liked. Um, it's bizarre and experimental, and the guitars are doing things that no one else does with guitars. It's full of these absolutely weird riffs, but one of the things I really like about this one is the way in which the guitars are used gives like the bass a lot of space to fill quite a lot of the songs so you have a lot of parts where you have these cool bass and drum grooves going um Doug Moore's vocals are phenomenal like he does so much on this album like it's such a varied within songs but within the album as well it's so hugely varied it's so strange um I absolutely love the song Another Day in Paradise like for me that feels like the definitive prion like has this sort of intro about 
capitalism and the world as it is um, of spoken word and then just gets into this like really stop starty but driving and absolutely destructive sort of riffs it probably on a bizarre but I really really feel like I'm starting to get them now I feel with this album they've pushed even further into the kind of weird abstract thing they have going on and I think I think it's a step up from their previous two in all ways. It's it's incredible. I, at this point as well, like, and I guess as you say, this is one that like people either loved or hated. Yeah, I, I've not seen anyone is lukewarm on it. People are either like, I cannot listen to this or think it's genius. But I, I undeniably, I think Doug Moore has got to be up there as one of the greats of like modern death metal vocals. Like, I genuinely think he should be mentioned in the same breath as like. Castle uh, Capitation's front man, like he has that equivalent level of experimentation mixed with just hyper competence at the kind of more the more normal stuff he does. And you mentioned you'd like touched on the lyrics. The lyrics of this album really sold me as well. Using this like hyper apocalyptic sound they've got going on to just rant about the evils of of society as it is, and in like often really specific uh, topics as well. Yeah, I, I felt that the writing of that kind of stuff, which is often on albums this experimental, would be quite an afterthought. The lyrics are are actually a really core part of the sound of this. Just sort of on Doug Moore's vocals, there's something that I sort of stumbled across earlier this year, which I strongly recommend checking out. Is like um, it's a it's like an orchestral version of a Pryon song um, with Doug Moore doing vocals. So someone, this um, composer has arranged it for an orchestra to play and then he's just doing the vocals over the top. It's one of the weirdest things I've ever listened to and I've no idea if I actually like it or not because I still can't really process it. But what it does give you is an amazing chance to hear his vocals like with no heavy instruments backing them, with no guitars or bass or really any drums. And yeah, like the precision that he has for the different kinds of sounds he can create is incredible like he has so much range within heavy vocals like yeah i think you're right there's so few people who you could say can make such a variety of different techniques work and work so well okay well moving on like i've got a fair few from like the really brutal end of death metal don't worry guys we'll three or four more albums and then we'll we'll get to something something a bit different um, yeah, so this year, Benighted put out Obscene Repressed. Um, Benighted at this point are just like a French institution in brutal death metal. I, I don't know that this is necessarily like a massive step up from their last few. Like, it's probably, but in terms of quality, probably on par with something like Icon. They're just really, really good at what they do. Once again, another vocalist who is hyper-competent and extremely varied. The backing band at this point are just ludicrously tight like yeah they they're an incredible unit and this is just them doing their thing to a really high degree the the italian band devangelic put out i think their third album Assetu, which was like this is more of your kind of i, I guess almost touches of slam but really kind of well-written brutal death like kind of I don't know, it's still this felt like it still had an atmosphere going on in it. It didn't it didn't descend into that brutality for the sake of it. Like it hardly reinventing the wheel with it, but I really like this album. They just they just nailed something about that sound. And yet this is actually another Willow Tip Records release. And this is more what I think of when I think of Willow Tip. Also, yet another really cool album cover. Yeah, okay, so more more in the kind of brutal vein. Like I've got quite as I say a fair few for this. Um Theatas uh put out Shrines for Absurdity, 
and these guys seem to be kind of like artificial brain adjacent like i mean they've got i think one of their members is also in buckshot facelift uh big wheels other band but the these guys I mean they had an ep out i think about three years ago which was really decent but incredibly short and they finally got this full length out and this is this is that kind of very angular extremely tight brutal death metal with touches of like weird progressive flourishes in there maybe a little like a little bit of a defeated sanity thing going on but these are far more kind of rigid and just incredibly brutal like extremely good vocals yeah another like new band who are doing something very impressive and i think slightly carving out their own niche with it actually further in that vein one i really enjoyed this year was uh wormholes the weakest among us who uh came out on uh, lacerated enemy records which is primarily a slam uh label and what i really liked about this album and the band sort of tout themselves as this is their thing is they meld slam and tech death just riff to riff so their whole thing is being able to transition out of really complex tech death bits into slow heavy like you know cavemen slams like that kind of really like there's just a simple groove and a guttural vocal and then suddenly widdly guitar moments and they move back and forth between this all with that hyper guttural super low vocal approach and i, I think they they found something kind of unique in two super well plumbed genres by focusing so much on the transitions which is something i really appreciate in bands if bands know how to go fast to slow in very short songs this this efficiently yeah like they they found something new here and it's really amazing to hear something with such a clear slam influence in 2020 doing something vaguely interesting because honestly that's a genre that kind of got boring 10 years ago in terms of just oversaturation but yeah wormhole i think are really finding new ground and new ways to make that kind of sound interesting <laughs> So I think one that I really enjoyed um, was uh, Drowth, 
um, excerpts from a dread liturgy. And I've not come across Draft before. Um, again, another one with, like, I thought a really striking album cover, entirely black and white, but an ama- like this sort of growing out of a corpse on the front of the album, loads of, like, weird images of birds and skulls and strange shit like that. Um, this is one that I almost find it quite hard to decide why I like it so much. Like, it's really catchy. It's quite melodic in places, although still quite nasty, like traditionally black metal when it gets into it. I really like how they blended sort of um, acoustic and electric guitars, like on the first um, song, A Drowning by Sunlight. It starts off as something that feels really proggy and then gets into something which feels really traditionally black metal. But the blending of the soft textures sort of towards the beginning of that and equally later in the album, um, songs like A Repulsive Act Shrouded in Flesh, the beginning is really really interesting like it's full of loads of like little soft textures the way they've mixed the guitars on it is really really cool so yeah it was just one that i just kept having on repeat because it was super super catchy but had all of those things that i liked about black metal in it one i thought was really decent from this year Dea, um the kind of one man black metal legend from belgium who he, he's like sort of performed with malady i think is one of his more famous bands um yeah so dare's contrast too is this amazing kind of like long form black metal like most of the tracks are around like 20 minutes long these huge sort of like expansive sounds it's all recorded by him but his like, his real selling point is he does these amazing high really pain screams he's quite a varied vocalist actually um uh, and like his guitar work he's it's just standard black metal but he's a guy who knows how to write a very long black metal song without ever it becoming boring or letting the atmosphere slip or repeat itself too much like yeah I, I for contrast too was absolutely incredible um and one of 17 albums he's put out this year holy fuck <laughs> yeah it, i I've spoken, like, I've briefly chatted to him before. I do, he, he has a problem where he can't stop recording albums. <laughs> That's incredible, yeah. You talk about someone like Devin Townsend being prolific for like, you know, 20 albums in as many years, and that's not even close. It, but it's ridiculous. Like, the, the stuff he's put out include, like, he's done an album of just, like, piano songs. Like, he, the one that came out a couple of weeks ago is an album of metal versions of, like, 90s pop songs, which is fucking ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) and then then like a fair amount like he's very varied like under the name Dea he's done all that and he's done you know more black metal drone like kind of doom albums he's got like a brutal death metal album in there that came out right at the start of the year yeah and like very end of last year I think like 31st of December last year he put out a an album of like kind of quite nasty sounding punk Mm. yeah he he can just do anything like uh, i think tech death was his real experiment this year because previously his guitar skills weren't up to it but yeah yeah just an incredible musician um, a black metal record that I really liked, which has been getting a lot of attention this year, um, was Wayfarer's A Romance with Violence, um, which was a really cool, like, sort of black metal inspired by the sort of tradition of looking at westerns and the history of America 
and you know looking back to the wild western cowboys and all that sort of stuff but not only from the perspective of you know what was that like it's not just theming but how do we as a modern society relate to that and the establishment and history of america and how they interacted with you know native americans and it includes that sort of that lot of folk american instrumentation which fits really nicely like it's that folk thing that we talk about in a lot of european black metal but you know taking a panopticon sort of uh, direction to it but from an older time period which works really nicely it really feels authentic within this and the record itself because of its inspiration because of its lyrical content because of how it's put together it has a real profound sense of sadness and anger to it which a lot of black metal struggles with when you're just talking about satan for the millionth time you know it's reflecting on real world tragedy in quite a mature way and i found that just really captivating about this album it has a maturity that most black metal really struggles to reach I think it's one I, I've seen popping up very highly rated this year. Like, I think a lot of people have put it, like, right at the top of their end of year list. I, I, I quite enjoyed it, but I don't feel I'm quite getting what everyone else is from it. Like, it's cool. It is it is very well crafted. But, yeah, it, it hasn't quite sat with me like uh, some others have. And I'm not... Maybe I just need to give it a bit more time, though. There was some, like, really cool stuff from Asia this year, actually, in the, the black metal sphere. Well, possibly, we don't know. Almac put out Battle of Tours, who are apparently a one-man black metal project from Afghanistan. Um, although their metal archives has a big note saying this is not being confirmed. <laughs> so, who knows? <laughs> but this was... this I thought was a really interesting album of, like, it's very reliant on keyboards and stuff. It's that very atmospheric slightly folk tinged black metal but it's pulled off very well like uh, it's it's a subtle album and it's clearly it is clearly that kind of one-man project but i feel that works fine with black metal if you're you know if you're careful with the choice of tones like like the home recording sound can work quite nicely for it um one that definitely didn't feel home recorded is uh china's vengeful specter with their self-titled debut album which is just this absolute blast fest of like very kind of studio tool like massive sounding drums like short brutal black metal tracks but immensely catchy and within like a really excellent vocal performance it kind of put me in mind of like older phonic when they were actually being heavy and not sort of getting all melodic just you just took the heavy moments of that band it's like that strung out for a full album
one thing that I sort of stumbled across um, was a band called Eye of Nyx, who re- released um, Ligeia, which was a really interesting sort of um, like black metal with a bit of that like post metal kind of part to it. Um, the things that stood out to me is it combines some of those more traditional black metal vocals with these super operatic female vocals in an almost like black metal version of Flesh God Apocalypse style way, which like, and it, it didn't do it throughout the album, but the few songs it did it on, just like that combination was fascinating. The kind of way that they brought that vocal style into some like post metal black metal was really, really cool. Um, the drum production on the album was also phenomenal. Like it had some really really like jazzy drums really like nicely syncopated like you know in black metal something that's used to like having drums which sound like they're recorded like in a tin can having really well produced drums like sounded really really cool and lent it just a quite different air so yeah this was quite an interesting one that i stumbled across yeah, that sounds that sounds really decent. Like the name doesn't even ring a bell. This is one I've completely missed this year. Uh, Al Namrud, uh, Saudi Arabia's kind of black metal institution, put out I think their sixth album while at, which is probably the most uh, like sort of technical and odd they've ever got on an album. It's it's ex- like whereas their previous one was actually quite catchy, this one was like the same lineup, same vocalist, but suddenly went in a very a far more extreme direction and with their already kind of quite rough and ready recording it was a fairly brutal listen but it's still really enjoyable it has all the elements I really like from that band Um, and yeah once again like actually recording black metal albums in Saudi Arabia is is never not worthy of comment that's that is incredible yeah is always actually the most metal thing that has happened (laughs) exactly yeah, so have you got any any others for the more traditional black metal? I don't really think any of the other black metal stuff I've got fits within traditional. Cool. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's segue into the more progressive stuff. Um, one one I one I quite enjoyed, but actually was a little uh, possibly a little disappointed because these guys have put out some great stuff. Is uh, Alstafir Leeson, the Iceland slash Germany collaboration? put out this second part of the... I'm not going to bother the names, they're in Icelandic. But they, they last year they put out the first part of this this two-part series. And the second part, like I really loved the sound they were going for with it. They kind of... With the, the first part of this, they went in a more brutal, slightly less progressive direction. Still leaning heavily on those like hyper-deep, clean vocals mixed with the actually very low for black metal screams over this kind of very atmospheric sound. The... The issue with the follow-up is they spent too much time, for my liking, on atmospheric interlude sections. Like, it's about a 70-minute long album, and over 30 minutes of it, I think, is atmospheric interlude stuff. It just loses me, and I go back to the first half more, I find. Like, the, 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 the actual, like, real black metal stuff is great, but those bits aren't for me. Yeah, um, another one in the slightly more progressive direction, which I really don't know what my feelings are about it yet, I need to spend a lot more time with it, um, is Enslaves Utgard, um, which sort of went in a direction I was not inspecting Enslaved to go with. Like, if you look at one of the singles, um, Urjadan, it feels like a synth-pop thing at the beginning of the song. Like, it's got these big synths to it. And, um, and then when, as it goes on, like, you Enslaved give it their, like, unique, weird prog black metal thing. Um, and there's still definitely that Enslaved, like, stamp on it. Uh, and I'm... 
I'm really interested to see that, you know, Enslaved are now sort of continuing to innovate and do something that you wouldn't expect to see them doing. Um, I just don't know how I feel about it yet. I haven't spent enough time with it to really know what my feelings of it are, but I thought, really interesting. The new drummer seems to be doing a fantastic job. Um, we'll talk about it in the live streams and stuff, but Kato from Enslaved, really hard drummer to fill in for. He's incredibly restrained, but incredibly talented. Um, an amazing feel. So their new drummer is doing a brilliant job. Um, Hack on the vocalist who they've had in uh, for the last few albums, also doing a fantastic job. Um, I like that, you know, they've got more sort of like chanting and clean vocals incorporated in it. I think that's really cool um but yeah enslaved once again confusing everyone by continuing to be weird yeah well, they, they took quite a turn because we've their previous album e was possibly the most melodic thing they've ever put out like it was a very very polished like prog metal album more than it was a black metal album and with this one with the black metal parts they seem to have way more leaned into a kind of harsher more brutal sound not not including that very weird departure of the symphony track you mentioned earlier which i which i love like that's actually really great and i, I really like this kind of turn towards a slightly more brutal um because i don't want to enslave to repeat themselves i'm glad they're they're trying something new. The only thing I really... And I was really put off by the single. Um, I dislike it. I can't stand the drummer's clean vocals. Like, oh, I, like, okay. Yeah. yeah, his additional... Like, I, I love I love their, their keyboard player. I think he's a great kind of... Um, a great replacement for their previous clean vocalist. But yeah, the drummer's vocals just did not work for me. So when I heard the first single, I was just not into it. But... Uh, viewing the album as a whole, that's a tiny part of it and a, a very minor complaint. And I'm really liking this one. Much as you say, though, I think this one's going to be like Rittier for me, which is going to take like 15 listens to to truly love because it, it, it's a harsher, more complex album. I just need more time with it. And I've not given it that. But so far, it is definitely good and I might well be, after me in six months, I absolutely love it.
another one this year that came out. Um, Malo Carpatan released um, Krupinske One, which um, was a, like a bit more, I think, experimental and less immediately catchy than the previous ones they've had, which have gone for that really like sort of, you know, between first and second wave of black metal where they've had some like King Diamondy style riffs um, within that and like really felt like it was recreating something but with a completely unique like folky twist on it. Um, this one's much less sort of riff oriented than some of the previous stuff they've done. More atmospheric, like bringing in some of those like future, more future based elements of black metal um and again it's another one where i don't really know where i stand on it yet like it's not one of the ones where i can immediately listen to it and go there's some amazing riffs in this i love it um like it's silly and campy and like early black metal um i've really i really enjoyed listening to it but i need to spend a bit more time with it to really decide what that transition means because it's a much more complex record than what they've put out previously yeah, um, it, yeah, it definitely wasn't as immediate for me. Like, they're a band that put me in mind of like two eras of Bathory mas- mashed together. It's like sort of Hammer Heart and then like Blood Fire Death, like all, yeah. all at once. Um, which I, I really enjoy that that kind of sound. But yeah, it wasn't so immediately catchy as their their album from 2018, which was straight away I was like, oh, this is great. This is this is doing a bit of that Celtic Frost thing mixed with a bit of Dark Throne. And so, as you say, some folk thrown in. This new one, I think, again, is just going to be a case of more time. I, I think it's very good. I just, yeah, I, I need to spend more time with them. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the things for me, which this next album we'll talk about a little bit, is like there's been a lot of like quite cool, weird, like that edge of black metal, and one which I really liked this year was around Super Zuzu's Mustard um, and Kinsey, which was unsettling, weird, and groovy in every way that around Super Zuzu are incredibly good at doing. This one to me felt a little bit more atmospheric, sort of in that similar direction to what we were talking about um, with Malakarpatan, but with around Super Zuzu, like they just get that feeling down so so well you listen to it and you're lost in this terrifying psychedelic haze like straight away and then they'll bring in like these really cool groovy riffs and these really huge powerful bass lines um i suppose my only real critique of the album is it did have a little bit too much of those big atmospheric sections like the beginning of the album for me took really quite a long time and i love i love how they can create such an unsettling atmosphere and i love how they meld the creepy acoustic guitars into these bizarre riffs that are like rock riffs that have been cut apart and stitched back together in a way that makes no sense um but yeah yeah overall like it captured that amazing atmosphere that they get and i really really liked it yeah and i think it's some of the best sound like the the best sounding they've ever been on an album they they've really got the hang of mixing that huge wall of like this massive like distorted bass sound and these really big sounding synths with that black metal underpinning they have which is a really complex sound to capture because there's so many ideas going on there i i I did the same thing as you the previous album was immediate for me like within a minute of it something really exciting had happened with this one it takes that moment longer to get going but once you're in you you're in safe hands like this band's been doing it for like six albums now they really know what they're doing in this kind of psychedelic black metal vein they and i I think are are basically like a masterclass of the genre at this point um one one that was a slight disappointment for me but it's still it's still a really solid album was malady put out the grander version their fourth full length um 
Uh, Malady featuring Dea, who uh, mentioned earlier, this is one of the 17 albums he's involved with this year. The the change they've made is this album, they've gone for much shorter songs. They've promoted Dea to not only be the scream, like the main screamer, but also the main clean vocalist. So they've, they don't have the big heavy metal voice anymore. And they've gone far more kind of like experimenting with like dissonant and really horrible sounds. So this album is like a lot more brutal and odd than their their previous like kind of very catchy um if extremely heavy in places work the saxophone is way more used for like kind of aggressive shining-esque stuff rather than the the big melodic hooks in a lot of songs and uh, yeah actually just essentially a huge amount of the melodicism is completely gone from this record I don't love it as much as their earlier work, but it's it's still a super interesting release. They're still one of the the more creative bands out there in this kind of sound. Um, one that I know that you're a big fan of, and one that I've been listening to over the last week or so, um, is Fulton Kammer, um, from Zachary Ezrin from an Imperial Triumphant. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about a bit about this one because I've just been getting into it, but I think you've been listening to it for a lot longer than me. Well, so it's it's only this came out uh, I think very early December, and essentially this is uh, you know it's we know about this because Zachary, the guitarist and vocalist of Imperial Triumphants, involved in it. But really, this project is a vehicle for Andromeda Arcare's like ridiculous vocals. So she's this amazing black metal screamer slash operatic singer. And she is doing all of that over a relatively traditional black metal album. So it's about 35 minutes long of like quite tightly written and well-performed black metal, but nothing that's like m- like massively experimental out there other than this vocal performance where she will switch back and forth between these impossibly good operatic vocals and amazing screams. Like both the voices she can do are incredibly complex and varied and impossible. Like I, this, this actually it was initially Count the Skies was the album I was going to say I put on and immediately loved the vocals. Then this one blew out of the water. Uh, my girlfriend is actually furious with me and Rob that this isn't our number one of the year. She's like, <laughs> "What's better? Well, like name something that's better than this." Yeah, I, I thought the vocals on this were amazing. Like. I think just like on the first track, they do a really cool thing of combining like these really softly sung bits with like something slightly harsher. And it's one of the most unnerving things I've listened to all year. Like it's so creepy. Um, But yeah, as you say, it's sort of like this black metal is a backing for this incredible, like weird vocal performance. And yeah, I I was blown away by like this album. The interesting thing I've seen in discussion around this is a lot of people have been talking about it like it's kind of a gimmick, and I just don't get that. It's like this is just black metal with a slightly different vocal approach. I, like the the mixture of those operatic cleans in there as another source of melody is a bit different, but it's just it's just really well done. I don't I don't I didn't hear this and go like oh my god I've I've never come across this music before. It's like oh that's quite a unique vocal approach, and I don't know yeah. I, I I feel it's being unfairly labelled as like a gimmick album right essentially if you just muted half the vocals this is a totally normal black metal album with one interesting addition and I don't like slightly operatic vocals aren't even that unique to like plenty of bands have done that in black metal right 
I think it's just one of those things like you get the same people who respond to like having there be saxophones in death metal. It's like, oh, it's just a gimmick because anything that is added to like the metal canon of like just bass, guitars, drums and vocals is apparently, oh, you're only doing that for a gimmick reason rather than, well, uh, uh, why aren't all guitars gimmicks then? Or like (laughs) all guitar solos would be gimmicks. Like adding in a new element just means you have new musical elements to explore and create something different. Um and that's that's interesting. That's always interesting. And for me, I thought like the kind of operatic with black metal is such a natural fit because they're both they're both such like pretentious, involved genres. Like you know that yeah. that kind of they they live or die on people on stage. Like being able to produce them bombastically, you're not you're not gonna. No one rocks up in jeans and a t shirt to perform either of these genres of music. <laughs> like, yeah, they're they're so so emotive and atmospheric and. That fits perfectly. Another one I really enjoyed for throwing something a little different into black metal was uh, I Void Hanger Records put out Spain's At the Altar of the Horned God Through the Doors of Moonlight, which is kind of like a debut project. And I, I think one of those slightly mysterious I Void Hanger ones where I don't believe there's much known about the lineup. But this sounds really interesting. If it starts off in this, like, kind of with this amazing piece of, like, kind of hyper distorted synth with these really beautiful, like, chanting vocals going over it. And the first, like, three tracks of the album are this amazing kind of, like, synths and, like, subtle bits of guitar and drums with, like, the, like these incredible vocals. And then the second half of the album just goes full, like, really distorted, like, bedroom black metal afterwards. And both halves of it are amazing. And with, you know, Eidvogt Hanger's trade trademark incredible kind of layout to the album as well yeah i I thought this was an incredible release like really really blown away by both halves of it i'm not sure how well the two fit together but like they're both executed so well that yeah i got i really enjoyed this one um on the sort of more atmospheric side of stuff there are a few albums that i really enjoyed um one was uh violet cold uh noir kid which is this, I mean, Violet Cold have released loads of fantastic stuff. It's a one-man project, and it's this super open and atmospheric shoegaze uh, sort of post-metal, but with these, like, black metal elements as well. Like, I really liked the juxtaposition in this with these, like, softer cleans and then harsh vocals over these really, like, uplifting synths, but then you had those tremelo, like, black metal-y style guitars in there as well, which I thought was really cool. It incorporated stuff like saxophones, so it just had, it had so much going on within it, uh, but, like, managed to take a lot of these things that you might hear, these sort of motifs from black metal, and turn them into something which sounded quite uplifting, and yet could be really aggressive every now and then as well. I Yeah, I thought this was a really great album. Uh, also worth mentioning of Violet Cold, one-man project from Azerbaijan. Sadly, though, I, I, I didn't. I really couldn't get on with this album. <laughs> but I, I can't remember if I brought this up with you before. But I realised like this year because I've looked into it a bit more. I, I just don't like synth pop stuff because this has a real synth pop <laughs> influence. And I think that's like actually quite a controversial opinion in metal. Like most people I talk to, like who are you know deep into like their kind of metal stuff really dig a lot of synth pop stuff and i realize i'm some kind of philistine of like if there's no guitar there i'm <laughs> i'm not interested apparently and th- th- this album totally had that effect on me so it, no slur on the writing of the album like he's clearly done an impressive job with that but yeah i just felt the synth pop elements i didn't like and 
Okay, maybe something more your speed then. Um, Inner Suffering, um, another sort of one-man project, released an album called Grey City, which I really liked. It was, again, sort of along the similar lines of this atmospheric post-metal with, like, little hints of, like, black metal within it. And it, you know, it's it's album title says, album cover and title says it all. Like, it's this picture of a bleak grey skyscraper. And it's, you know, a project that sort of reflects on, or an album that reflects on life in grey cities. And this really connected with me during lockdown, where you're just sort of, like, trapped inside, seeing buildings everywhere and nothing else. Um... It had these really nice sort of open, empty spaces where you just had, you know, you had your drums and you had your clean guitar happening, but it had a lot of space between all of the things that were happening. It had this sort of omnipresent, like, hum, this ambience to it, which really sucked you in. Had a really nice variety of guitar sounds as well. Um, There were moments, like, on the track Towers of Glass, where the, the guitars for everything sound like falling water, the clean guitars. It was really, really impressive. And then it had these heavier parts as well, which, like, all still felt kind of muted and seen through the lens of living in, like, you know, these grey dystopias of cities that we're all trapped in because of lockdown I am I really liked this it's completely instrumental there's no vocals on this at all just a really nice sort of atmospheric soundscape project which I thought was really cool so I've just googled because I had never heard of this band before have you seen how so it's a one man project right have you seen how much you put out this year I know (laughs) I know it's not quite there but five albums and six EPs yeah, it was one of those things where, like, I listened to this one and thought, oh, great, I should I should check out some of the other stuff. And then thought, oh, my God, there's so much. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's, there's like, yeah, loads that I'm hoping to go back and explore. So this was the one that I, like, stuck onto. But, yeah, loads of stuff here. Definitely worth checking out. So I think the only other thing I've got in the, in the category of black metal that I put a lot of time into this year was Cult of Fire put out two albums, back-to-back, actually, two, like, 35-minute-long albums that they didn't release as a double. They released as two separate um, albums. This is Nirvana and uh, Mushka. And Cult of Fire, previously, I would say, were, like, one of the absolute, like, sort of shining lights of the genre. They Their first two albums are monumentally good. Um, so I had really high hopes for these two. And they're good. They they are pretty solid, but neither of them has that complete, like, you know, just fight, feeling like total new ground in terms of black metal that the, the previous two from this band had. They felt more kind of muted and atmospheric rather than having, like, the real over-the-topness, especially of Cult of Fire's debut. Their live show this year, like, they will probably get to this later, but they've, they've done some streaming stuff Um and their live show looks absolutely amazing. But yeah, for whatever reason, these two, I just didn't love as much as I wanted to. They're, they're good albums. They're well worth checking out. But previously, Cult of Fire have always been like a, a 10 out of 10 band. Like they're, they're, their other releases are absolutely incredible. And these weren't quite that. And like, you know, pushes the boundaries of black metal, fits into that more atmospheric area, um, was Svalbard, um, When I Die, Will It Get Better? Uh, which I thought was a great album title, <laughs> particularly for this year. Uh, I I really liked this. I need to spend more time with it because there's a lot going on in this, but I loved how these like soft sections, they have a really Alcest-like feel to me. The acoustic drums add a huge amount to it. I really like that. It feels really lived in, despite like the synths and the, you know, the hugely... Um, 
effect-driven guitars. I really like Serena's clean vocals. They add a really nice texture to that Alcest-like part. And again, like the acoustic drums makes the hardcore-y, slightly black metal influence parts sound much harsher like really stand out it feels like a really confident album also fantastic artwork um yeah, so this yeah, is really a cover this is one that i'm planning to spend quite a bit of sort of early next year like getting more into but i really like what i've heard so far so it's really interesting actually with a band like svalbard that we're now talking about them in the vein of black metal because their older releases i very much would have put in that kind of like hardcore camp with maybe a touch of black metal but now with the inclusion of as you say those kind of like th- those post-rock elements that were first like i don't know included in extreme music by those kind of black metal bands that started fusing the two together you know 10 years ago like they're really they've really picked up on that interestingly as well i don't know if you've seen uh serena from this band is recording a um uh, like a solo uh, black metal album as well at the moment i think it might actually be done at this point but it is not going to be released till next year but i'm really interested to hear that because the bits of salvard i like most are when they are especially from this album when they lean into that element of their sound yeah definitely yeah i'd be really excited to hear that part of it it's been really interesting seeing the sort of journey that they came across because i remember I can't remember what year it was, but it was a Damnation Festival where I think I went over to watch Conjurer and you guys went over to watch Svalbard. And that was sort of like, you know, before that festival, I'd done a bit of listening for, oh, these sound really cool. I don't know who to go and watch. And seeing the journey they've come across from that point to this point, like they've added so much and matured so much in musical group. It's amazing to see. Yeah, they've done the really cool thing I always love to see as well of like seeing them play support in a venue for like a... A, like a band doing well and then a year later going back and seeing them the headline the same venue so and yet more yet more talent from bristol i think this is one of what five proper like like sort of good enough for end of year list albums out of bristol um yeah it, which is incredible because we're not a big population okay so um i think you had a few more for this than me um the the world of just more progressive metal stuff that I think most our progressive stuff probably ends up in black or death metal. But do you have any more traditional progressive uh, albums? Yeah, so I guess the only other one to mention, like as this was a big thing a while ago, was Devin Townsend's Empath, um, which like is like you know a big release for me. I think progressively over the last few albums, Devin has sort of moved a little bit away from the style of stuff that I really, really like out of him. I think I I really enjoyed Transcendence, actually, but the last time I really, really loved stuff was around sort of Deconstruction era, and my favourite goes back to a bit beyond that. But Empath is, without a doubt, while it's not my thing, massive and interesting and mind-bending in its complexity and the number of different ideas that are going on in there. Um, Probably the thing I love most about it is its inclusion of three very different drummers. Um, from Samus, who is like a sort of proper death metal, like extreme metal drummer who can do fantastic blast beats and um, really fast double kicks and all that sort of stuff, um, to two other drummers with completely different, like, uh, 
looks and different genres that they play, like much more funk, much more rock. And listening and watching the playthroughs of those different songs with the different drummers is really, really interesting and how those different styles have been merged in. So while I think it loses me a little bit in terms of the sheer complexity and the sort of emotional tones of the album, I just think there's an awful lot to be appreciated there. And I know a lot of people really loved this album. In a similar vein, another one I, I sort of, I liked bits of but struggled with was uh, Haken's latest, Virus. Which, so Haken, I have been a big fan since basically they this their first demo. And I've been getting less and less into them with recent albums. Virus, like from the singles, I was really excited. There was a few kind of interesting new ideas. Like one of the tracks got like proper like heavy chugging stuff in it, which was was quite an interesting take for this band but as a whole the album left me a bit cold and like particularly the second half of it i just didn't really get that into it's got all the stuff that makes haken great like the the vocals are utterly incredible the vocal harmonies are amazingly written but i don't know it's lost the excitement it's had on albums like the mountain and aquarius i just i'm not getting the same the same thing out of it and but it's still brilliant, and if you like progressive metal, they're certainly one of the better bands in the genre. I, I picked up their 2019 live album slash DVD this year, and the thing that struck me about that is Haken are like streets ahead of most other bands in the genre for their vocal work. Like you, their live shows, their vocals are just perfect, and not just from the lead singer. They'll have like five-way vocal harmonies that just work while they're all playing like and their ability to do that always makes them worth seeing live i'm just not as into their latest albums like unfortunately that that sounds really amazing from the live perspective as well because i remember when we caught them a while ago in bristol with leprous and they were just like they were great but they were really unfortunate they were put next to leprous whose vocal work is has always been just incredible. And I sort of felt that Leprous showed them up quite a bit at that show, just because they were perfect. Yeah. And Haken, while really good, didn't quite match up. So that's interesting to see if they've like really upped their game in terms of their live vocals. I think as well, when we saw them, that was their like third gig with a new member. Which is why uh, they yeah. possibly why they weren't quite as perfect, but yeah, like it. If you watch some of the the live stuff now, I I think they're probably outstripping Leprous in terms of those, particularly in terms of like the vocal harmonies. When you've got like mm. obviously Ina is a ridiculous vocalist. <laughs> um, did you listen to the Leprous album this year? No, uh, I got a little bit burned by the last Leprous album, um, which again, it's just they're heading in a direction which isn't so much for me. Like, Leprous is still a fantastic band. I watched, um, I remember watching some of like the playthroughs and stuff like that and watching some of, like, particularly Bard, I love watching him as a drummer no matter what he's playing. Um, but for me, I just sort of felt like this is probably going in a direction that I'm not going to be as into. Um, did you give it a listen? Uh, a s- pretty much same here i heard the singles from it and was like okay your your this album sounds like it's going to be more in the vein of melina and I, the melina I, I found a bit tedious <laughs> okay so let's, let's move into some stuff we're more positive about uh i i've grouped i've lumped this lot together because me and rob don't normally have a huge amount of examples for this this is 
all the grindcore, hardcore, wait, things that end in core genres. Um, yeah. <laughs> one M, Matt, I, I think you pretty checked out. Um, new Napalm Death, uh, Throes of Joys and the D- Jaws of Defeatism. Have you given this one a listen, Rob? So I actually haven't. This is one that's been on my list to check out almost all year, and I just haven't managed to get round to it. Um, so again, that's one that in the new year I'm planning to come to. It's brilliant. It's it is like easily the best work they've put out since Time Waits for No Slave if not the best work they've ever put out. Like, it it really is, like, Napalm Death at the top of their game. Like, the the kind of... The core of the sound is still your... You know, you know exactly what Napalm Death sound like at this point, but they're just doing this, like, firing on all cylinders. The, the, actually, the reason I think it, say, slightly beats, like, a comparable album like Time Waits for No Slave is it's not quite as overly long. That album while being amazing, I felt it was about three tracks more than it needed to be. Whereas this one does the weird thing of, like, the final track, um, they actually change stuff up and have this almost, like, killing jokey style song. Um, yeah, so there, there's, some, there's some other ideas thrown into the sound that makes it really interesting. But just at the core of it, that, that kind of old-school grind is just executed as good as you've ever heard it. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic album. Um, a grind album that I really liked this year was um, Caustic Wound, put out Death Posture, which is like really raw and primal, but with these beautiful organic drums, which lend it so much energy and power. Like, I think particularly coming from, like, listening to a lot of death metal where one of its biggest problems is its is its kick drums become so clicky. Hearing, like, just this, like, onslaught of, like, stick smacking into real drums sounds so cool um and another thing i really liked about this one is it has moments where it's not afraid to slow down and get really nasty for small amounts of time like channeling these horrible guitar tones and things like that um again like really quick and to the point i think it's about half an hour in total and just yeah really enjoyable one i thought was really amazing i didn't know quite whether to include this in grind or death metal but my ma- miasmic necrosis uh put out apex profane which i think is their debut um they're an unsigned american uh like grind death band and they do these really short like again like quite organic sounding um songs with pitch shifted vocals but some of the best pitch shift vocals i've heard in ages the vocalist is uh paolo Pugantalon, who um I think most famously has done some guest stuff for um, Artificial Brain, sometimes fronting them live if uh, Big Will can't make the gig. Also, I think um, I think some ex-members of Biolich are in this band as well. But yeah, this is this is very to the point. Like this, it's pretty no frills, but it just sounds so good. Like uh, like and and a rare use of pitch shifters where. The guy really knows what he's doing. It's not arbitrarily applied to the vocals. You know the vocals are recorded with this idea in mind. Um, Yeah, amazing. Really groovy. Really brutal. And with a really weird album cover. I love it. But, like, yeah. Like, a very, very striking cover.
one I quite liked was um, Rat King released Vicious Inhumanity, which was like, as all Grand Crew is, it was really, really high energy. But I liked how they incorporated a few kind of like really quite thrashy riffs into it. But then like the guitar tone almost feels quite sludgy in places, which like made it feel really nasty. Um, again, like incredibly powerful drums, uh, had a constant energy to it of just constantly like doing this chopping and changing and feeling quite experimental with these different genres of metal where they just sort of grabbed a riff from it and chucked it in and made it work. Um, yeah, I just thought this was a really cool little album. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that sounds really good. I, I totally missed this band. A, a label I've been really into this year, as, as many listeners know, is I Avoid Hanger, and a really interesting release in the grind realm from that label, which is a bit outside their usual thing, was Xylifia? Uh, I'll spell it. X-Y-T-H-L-I-A with Immortality Through Quantum Homicide, which was this really... It's a, yet another one-man project, which is what that, that label's famed for. But this chaotic, hyper-technical grind. Um, it's got that, that grind thing of being kind of all drums, like high-end trebly guitar and vocals. But the guitar will often descend off into this like hyper-technical dissonant shredding uh, while like the rest of things are just moving at such incredible pace. And then just to keep you like just to kind of give you breathers, it occasionally gets really slow and sludgy for certain moments. Then it's back to absolute like shrieking chaos. Like really solid album with the classic Ivoid Hanger incredible kind of artwork and layout for for the for the release. Yeah, an amazing one man release. Oh, well, one other that is I guess not quite grind, but um, sort of. Got some some grind, some hardcore in there. Was Couch Schlutz' third album, Take a Chance on Rock and Roll. Which, yeah. The, if you've heard this band before, I mean, me and Rob were very enthusiastic about their um, 2018 release. Um, and this this is just... It, it's more in that vein. They've... Um, yeah, they, they've found their sound at this point and are just doing that great kind of, like, extremely aggressive hardcore with elements of noise... And just these very emotional vocals, like the vocal performance is always what sells it with Couch Slut and vocal slash lyric writing as well. Like really, really emotionally powerful lyrics. Like, and this album didn't disappoint. I remember first time I listened to it, having that like I feel slightly ill, like gut punch after the the final, like the spoken word thing of the final track just fucked me up. Like, I, I, oh god. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've left like one note on this, which was this upset me, and I love yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, though. Like, because I knew who they were at this point going in, it's like, no, I want to be upset. That's you, I know you're capable of it. So if I'm not coming away from this, like, feeling hollow, then, then it's a bad album. So <laughs> it, it definitely yeah. had that effect. So yeah, I loved it. Really good stuff again. This one I don't really know where to put, but I think both me and Rob really enjoyed this was Spirit World's Pagan Rhythms. Yeah, this this was like so groovy, uh, uh, and I, and I loved how it had something which you might typically associate with like quite groove driven death metal, and then had like these like hardcore style vocals and like really groovy like floor tom led drum parts as well, which gave it this like sort of primal energy. Which then when it breaks out into one of those really groovy riffs, like there's a really nice contrast there which i thought was really cool um and yeah just just riffs so many good riffs yeah this genuinely like for for an album that is essentially you know hardcore meets death metal 
this is one of my albums of the year. This is, I think, I had this like number fourteen on my list of best albums. Uh, it's fucking brilliant. The it sold me on the intro, which is this two minute long speech of like an American preacher sort of talking about how how rock and roll music is 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 degrading America and turning it into a pagan country. All while this guitar feedback is building, and then when it gets to that final line of like, uh, and that music is rock and roll, and then just the massive like these hugely chunky riffs come in, and what's really cool as well, like it starts off with those kind of like once it gets through that intro, it starts all those kind of massive sounding groove influenced riffs, and then the drums start blasting. And when they hit that blast beat, the drums are so intense. Like, you know, the bits where they go really fast sound, like, they just absolutely floor you. Yeah, the the, the double kicks on this feels like it's trying to pound inside your head. Like, it, it's so intense. It's great. And it's all with this, like, massive wall of, like, feedback. And I, actually, I really like the kind of more hardcore influence vocals on this. Like, the gang vocal chants and, like, the main delivery. And they kept it really on theme as well throughout the album. They're really leaning to that whole, like, you know, ideas around, like, paganism uh, and groove being tied to each other. They're really fun. Also, fun fact about this band, they used to be a country band. (laughs) That's amazing. What a journey. I have no idea. Yeah, but apparently, yeah, that's that's where where this sound comes from, apparently. But, yeah, absolutely amazing stuff. Let's 
from one band we don't even know how to class. Like, let's go for the my general, I don't know quite where to put it, tag, which is post-metal, stoner, and doom. <laughs> like, sort of lumps that all together. <laughs> um, another real favourite from this year was yet another Bristol band. Um, these guys have been going for a while now. Segvera put out the Sixth Glare, which is this kind of excellent um, instrumental, like, vaguely Russian Circles-esque um really massive post-rock meets doom all done with just a guitarist and drummer completely instrumental like and the the guitarist does that whole signal splitting mixed with like some looping and just makes the most massive guitar tone and the sixth layer is the most like apocalyptic terrifying release they've ever done like the atmosphere of this this album is absolutely spectacular and it came out i think early march and it's got a load of voice clips about a pandemic wiping out the population of the Earth, which is <laughs> incredibly prophetic <laughs> timing. Yeah. I think that's the thing they get right that like is quite hard in a lot of other post-metal, because like post-metal can do loads and loads of really cool stuff. You get some amazing like atmospheric stuff out of it. But getting something that sounds truly terrifying, you know, like... I even, I'd say, Russian circles don't really get that sort of sound out of it. Segvera do something really quite unique, but it, it doesn't quite feel like Doom. Like, it doesn't have the same atmosphere that a Doom band does. It feels definitively post-rock, but I can't think of any other post-rock band that sound this apocalyptic and scary. Yeah, they, they, I, I get, it's an area I don't know so well. Like, I'm not someone who's put enough time into bands like Isis, but I, I think there is touches of all that to it, and it is that kind of sound where they get just ab- they can get so heavy at certain moments and and this band like the the heavy stuff is where they really excel but for a complete instrumental album this is so kind of engaging and yeah i i just love this one
Um, so a band that I loved released an album this year, which I didn't get on with very well, um, and that was Sumac uh, released May You Be Held, which is a continuation of the experimental improvisation that they've been doing in collaboration with a Japanese artist um, of Love and Shadow, which came out last year. And I really liked Love and Shadow. Um, but for me, this one... There's some brilliant moments of Sumac just doing that, like, grinding chaos that they do with, like, again, phenomenal drumming and musicianship. But there's a lot of this where, for me, just very little is happening. Um, You know, they're, they're long songs which go through a lot of different motions. But for me, there's just not much of a point to most of the improvisation that's on this and I really struggle with this because I really liked how they included it on Love in Shadow I thought it added really nicely it was well restrained and added these like moments of tension to the compositions but for me the fact that there wasn't really much on either side of this meant that there wasn't really any tension so I know a lot of people really liked this um, but I struggled with it quite a lot so maybe, maybe I'll come back to it and realise that it's actually genius but at the moment, um, yeah still struggling with this one. Oh that's a shame um, yeah one one I thought was quite good if a touch overly long was um, Huntsman with Mandala of Fear uh, put out on prosthetic records quite early on in in the year did you listen to this one at all rob no it's no, another didn't. absolutely massive one so this is like a slightly progressive like stoner metal kind of band I, I think it's got moments of absolute brilliance in it um the opener um is incredible it goes from these beautiful like uplifting kind of like rock moments into suddenly like death metal um there, there's loads of like the transitions are really good. There's so many long, like kind of uh, really riffy songs where they add in nice little additions. They've got quite a few vocalists in this band as well. Like a dedicated uh, female singers joined them since this album's come out because they had so many guest vocals that they needed someone to perform that live for them. Um, yeah, and it's really amazing when they get it right. I just think there's a few too many moments on it which drag out a bit too long where they like have an experimental idea they'll play around with um which that those bits were less for me although i know listener august um absolutely loved this album so i think if you're more if you've got more time for that kind of stone of doom sound they're doing something pretty incredible with this and yeah it was it was a really exciting release but strap in for an 80 minute long listen um along the sort of doomy lines something that i really liked was um lord vigo's album from this year dance de noir which was like a really catchy and uplifting sort of doom meets prog type thing like has real sort of thing you pointed this out phil like real sort of symphony x feel from a lot of the stuff that they do but has these like big doom riffs but then with these really cinematic like keys and orchestral parts the bass takes a massive lead role on this album which i love hearing and something really doomy that's really cool because normally your guitars and your synths are right up at the front but having a bass do a lot of the melody and just fill in a lot of those lower gaps in a really audible way was great um it was hugely catchy this album it's got it's got very much a sort of blade runner theme to it with like direct quotes from it but it works really well it's really emotive the singer gives a really fantastic performance which like 
is so captivating on this with these huge catchy choruses um yeah i i really really enjoyed this one i i did quite like it um it's interesting as well because it's a free piece for that kind of like slightly proggy sound the fact they have that that incredible vocalist like he's the the obvious selling point he's also the drummer which i, I have no idea whether they can produce that live that's yeah, that's really interesting. It's amazing, and I, and I feel part of that might be why the bass takes such a lead role, because, you know, if you don't have that second guitarist, then you have space to fill. Like, if you have any guitar leads, the bass needs to step up and be really present within that. But it just it just gives you so much more opportunity to do interesting things throughout the album and to have other melodies going on and hold something down while you've got guitars and synths doing something else. So, yeah, I thought that was really nice. Uh, one I'm going to bring... Actually, do you have any more that, that's obviously in this genre before I get weird? I've got I've got two more things from Sludge. Okay, go for, go for it. <laughs> um, one was Vile Creature. Um, glory, glory, apathy took the helm, which I've seen quite a lot of people talking about. So Vile Creature do some quite nasty sludge. Um, fairly straightforward. But on this album, they added some really cool elements. Um, and it's only one I've come around to listening to recently. But on um, the song, I think it is, Apathy Took the Helm, they have these really cool like little choir sections which come in in a much like a sort of quiet intro. And they then mix that back in with the really nasty sludge. And it creates a really weird sort of bit of music, which I really, really like. Really sort of interesting and mixing like these really pristine clean vocals with this really nasty stuff that's happening and the nasty sort of um like snarly sludge vocals uh yeah just that moment of the album to me was really really impressive I, it's one i saw a lot of talk about but I just never got around to yeah definitely definitely one to check out after yeah as i do my usual wrap up in january of like checking out all the stuff i missed this year uh yeah and, and another one sort of along a similar-ish vein but getting a bit heavier was primitive man's immersion now i really loved caustic back in 2017 primitive man's um last album um and this is one i need more time with because primitive man are difficult to listen to this is much shorter this i think clocks in only around 35 minutes compared to caustic which was massive um but the just the density of the material primitive man might be one of the heaviest bands who've ever existed and this album feels like it's going more in the direction of something like godflesh um less sort of riff and doom focused even sludge focused and going more in that just like crushing heaviness direction um it's really, really cool from what I've listened to, but I just need to spend more time to unpack it because it is such a dense record. But they are still doing heaviness that no one else can quite match in the way that Primitive Man do it. There's something just completely unique about how crushing and bleak they are. Okay, so one, I have no idea where to put. I don't really think it's metal. I've heard it included for its, like, uh because it's got some drone elements, but this is another Ivoid Hanger release, uh, Neptulian Maximalism with Eons, their their debut. I think their debut? I know. There's a lot to read about this band. There's there's a hell of a lot going on with them. Core of their sound, I this puts me in mind of like a kind of more chaotic and progressive master musicians of Bukaki, like something like that, some like hyper-experimental sort of jazz-influenced, but extremely expansive. The album is is three discs on CD. 
Like, I've got the case here. Wow. <laughs> oh, and yeah. with one of the most ridiculous album covers of the year. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, this this is definitely iVoid Hangers, like, totally winning on packaging. Like, the, the CD version I got is this massive, like, four fold-out thing with a free disc collection. And the, and the artwork goes across the four folds of this amazing... I think, like, Hindu god with, like, multiple faces. Uh, yeah, really incredible. What I'll tell you a lot about this, the lineup is um, a guy doing baritone guitar, bass, sitar, and flute, trumpet, and vocals. Uh, someone doing saxophone and baritone saxophone. Then then a drummer. And it's it's this... <laughs> so it, it, and it's this very experimental, like, very loose form music that plays out over this two-hour-plus runtime. It's an absolutely brilliant album. Uh, my, like, the reason I'm pretty not talking about it more is because despite, you know, loving it when it came out, I rarely make time because you need to sit down and listen to this as a two-and-a-half-hour or whatever it is experience. And you need two and a half hours to do that. I, I rarely make enough time for it, but it's a very rewarding album, and just completely like nothing you've ever heard before. Like, and if you're if you're someone like myself who really likes saxophone stuff, there's some amazing saxophone work on this. kind of i'd say very traditional heavy metal vein uh the american band greyhawk put out keepers of the flame which is just a wonderfully executed it's it's very much a throwback to new wave of british heavy metal but if you're a band doing that these days 
you've got to be shit hot at everything and these guys are like the guitar work is ludicrous like the solos are absolute face melters the vocal performance really brilliant the guy is like he can do some higher screams but he actually has slightly a slightly lower register for someone of this style but yeah i, I thought uh keeper of the flame really excellent sort of throwback album um yeah very exciting stuff i've heard a lot of people refer to it as power metal and i don't see it at all uh, the, the one in a similar <laughs> vein that i really wanted to like and everyone seems to love but i don't get is have you given the eternal champion album a go I've heard people talk about this a lot, but I've not listened to it, no. I, I just can't get into this, and I think I might just not be fun anymore. I don't I don't know why I don't <laughs> like this album. Like it seems like on paper it'd be totally my thing, but I, I yeah, that one I've really struggled with. In a kind of more well, I say power metal, like I think we pointed out last year that that's pretty much gone out the window. But Manticora put out the follow-up to their ridiculously titled To Kill to Live to Kill with to live, to kill, to live. Um, <laughs> <laughs> terrible titles notwithstanding, um, this is this is absolutely brilliant. Manscora used to be, like, I knew them as a very dark, progressive power metal band. They always had a particularly creepy atmosphere. On the latest two albums, though, they have got in, like, a high-level death metal drummer and just turned everything up to 11 in terms of the intensity, adding a load of blast beats and screen vocals over their uh, their brand of very technical progressive power metal and have made these like, quite cinematic pieces. Like the, the two albums, the referential titles are about these this continuation of this massive horror story they've written over the course of uh, 24 songs. And... And this album gets even more like into that kind of style. The the opener of the album for a for a, like a power metal album is a fifteen minute long song. Like this ridiculous like all over the place. Whereas the previous album sold me on its like opening couple of tracks. I was like these are super catchy. I like really enjoy that. And then felt the album drive on a bit more. This album is less immediate but way more consistent. The previous album I felt had a bit of a long tail to it. Whereas this one I felt was. Like it, yeah, as I say, it didn't grab me quite so much straight away, but as I put more time into it, I found it way more rewarding. And yeah, I, I think Manticore are on something really good here. I love that that melding of power metal and death metal, as, as weird as that sounds as a concept. Yeah. 
I've just got non-metal yes. at this point. Yeah, I, I think we basically lumped thrash into death metal, but which is yeah. So one um, came out this year was uh, Deep Purple's Whoosh, uh, and despite having a very poor album title, um, it is surprisingly good for a band who are this late on in their career. You know, like fifty years in. Um, obviously, not with the same lineup, but with a considerable number of original members, including Ian Gillan, still singing um there's it's surprisingly experimental there's some weird bits in this like one of the uh lead tracks they made a video out of um i think it's man alive or something like that uh it's got like these spoken word passages and these big orchestral synth leads alongside these more classically deep purple riffs and i think steve morse like his sort of bluesy lead guitar work is really really nice it doesn't have the energy of like purple with richie blackmore but they're not that band anymore and they can't do that they very wisely avoid the sort of things that they know they can't pull off these days you know like ian gillen's singing register is much smaller than it used to be he's not doing any of those ridiculous child in time type screams but they've adapted quite well um the only criticism i really have is having seen them live relatively recently a lot of the new stuff is way heavier when they play it live um and while the production's pretty good like the drums in particular really nice make it heavier like it some of the songs like i remember vincent price off one of the recent albums i saw that live and it sounded really heavy um and there's definitely bits in this as well where i think actually those riffs mixed with those keys could sound really great so just make it heavier but um yeah surprisingly weird but consistent for a band who are this long into their career Oh, that's impressive though uh, like much like the the latest Aussie I think I just wrote that off as like there's no way I'll be good but it's uh, they've, they've definitely <laughs> done better than the latest Aussie like you, you couldn't do much worse sorry to anyone who enjoyed that album but it, it very much went over my head <laughs> okay as I say um one I really enjoyed this year like another I'd say non-metal was Rope Sect with The Great Flood like I really love their debut from two years ago and The Great Flood is um so I, yeah, as I mentioned, Don, listener Donovan, um, he he is a really big fan of this album versus the older one, and we've been debating the merits back and forth because this one is far more cleanly produced, like way clearer. It it sounds a lot bigger in a lot of ways, but I kind of love the kind of culty nature of the old one because it sounded so rough and ready, and around with them being this completely anonymous band, like I don't know something about that really fit the atmosphere. But actually, the Great Flood is definitely where i'd say to start on this band if you've not heard them before because it is the it is the more slick together album and it has all those great elements of rope sex sound which i've not explained at all they're kind of a sort of gothy post-rock band with really great like very emotional um like low clean vocals you know taking that like um in terms of guitars and stuff taking a bit of that like sort of joy division type influence 
And yeah, just creating something I think is really atmospheric and emotive. The next non-metal recommendation from me is my synth-pop recommendation of the year. So Phil, please feel free to disregard this. But um, anyone else, this is um, Powder Paint uh, by Powder Paint. Um, They describe themselves as playing fast and loose with chords and gender. Um, It is super catchy. It has a massive drum sound, which I really like. if you're so normally I'm into the sort of more atmospheric end um if thinking about bands like Olver and stuff like that but this really brings me around to the like pop sensibilities of synth pop um and I really like the lyrics the lyrics deal a lot with like sort of alienation of work in modern day society um but trying to come at that from a very positive point of view it's very uplifting it's got great saxophone um does a really nice use of two different vocalists doing very different styles and matching that up together um yeah just really good fun very uplifting if you're into bands like olva or arcadia i'd definitely give this a go yeah you're right i'll probably hate that (laughs) 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 uh one one i think you'll probably dig if you haven't heard it already uh the norwegian band wobbler who i think this is their fifth album dwellers of the deep um do this amazing kind of throwback progressive music to like very much channeling 70s like yes and camel and stuff like that but with like a more modern technical spin on it like incredible high-pitched vocals ridiculously complex bass work this is isn't remotely metal this is well and truly 70s prog rock but these norwegians just do it to a level of skill that is ridiculous ridiculous and the album has that cool thing of it's only it's quite long but it's only four tracks that are just these massive long pieces every performance on it is utterly ridiculous as you would expect from a band sort of playing this kind of music at this point in time but yeah i I thought really impressive stuff and definitely a band i'll I'll probably go back and listen to everything from like given more time because yeah they are just doing that sound so well
just to finish off, we'll do the the other like sort of little little bits and pieces. So I've already done a show on EPs, so we will sort of skip over them. As always, it's, I, I like referencing a few splits because some of them are absolutely brilliant. And one of my favourites this year, Ruins of Beveras did two split albums, and they did one with the uh, British Doom band Morning Beloveth called Don't Walk on the Mass Graves. Ruins of Beveras, half of it, He's, he's really good. Like I, I love the Ruins of Beverly. I sound like a guy who's such a unique creative. But it is totally overshadowed by the Morning Beloved song, which is one of the best songs I've heard all year, which is this amazing, mainly clean vocal-led, epic doom metal track that like slowly builds up over seven minutes has some of the most like i uh, just soulful like like just really bleak clean vocals with amazingly written lyrics and it comes this massive crescendo where they said so the guitarist who's doing the singing is not their primary vocalist he's the like backing clean singer and their scream vocalist who like comes in right at the end to add layers of like cool backing to it yeah th- this track is absolutely absolutely brilliant and yeah one not to sleep on just because it was released uh, as a split so obviously we haven't really got much to say in terms of like best gigs we've seen this year because well we've seen about four yeah it's been a really weird year in terms of i think for all of us like massively missing going to live gigs um and streaming gigs suddenly becoming a much bigger thing because you're not going to get any of that otherwise and i know certainly i've spent quite a lot of time like on a friday evening just like sitting in front of the tv and putting on a live dvd or something to try to feel like i'm at a gig and having a few beers waiting outside the door for a very long (laughs) period of time making my house stink so i get the full gig experience (laughs) but yeah it's been really weird are there any particular like live dvds or or streamed gigs that have really stood out to you this so year. like i i've been watching a fair amount of the streams i know I've, from different people i've heard different things some people just can't do it they just don't like they if it's not if they're not there live that's it's not for them which is fair enough but i think for the rest of us it's been cool to get get some kind of halfway house with these and some bands have been doing really interesting stuff with it. there's a couple i saw very early in the year which were quite good like Enslaved did one, which probably wasn't their best performance. It was a little flat, but I really liked... Um, they, they did a set that was just like the most fan-pleasing one, where they did like mostly stuff off Below the Lights, which is an album I didn't even said in the show. The fans like way more than they do. So, but <laughs> because it's a one-off and they're not touring it, they're, they, you know, they, they did all of that, and it was... It was a good show off of the new musicians, well, particularly the new drummer. Like I've, I've seen them play live, the keyboardist. I think they've done a fair few live performances over the year. I've not, I've not caught all of Enslaved. One that was absolutely brilliant and doing something that was great to see because I don't think we they would ever tour this was Shining performed the entirety of Black Jazz in full, and it was fucking brilliant. Like they, they. For me, they've had the best stage show, like, set up for one of his live streams, where they filmed it in some, like, closed factory space and filled it with smoke. So they had this real air of, you couldn't tell, it didn't look like an empty live venue, it just looked like them performing in this really odd space. And it had just had an amazing look to it. And performing their most intense technical album in full, with a guest performance from Ishan right at the end of the the set, yeah, absolutely brilliant. And they did a really weird, a really good job of not getting weird with the not having an audience to address. He like the singer did a lot of quick shouting to an imagined audience between tracks, and 
yeah, it, it helped me lose myself in it a bit. Yeah, I think you hit upon something quite interesting with the enslaved, which I've certainly felt with others, where because you're not attached to a particular tour and because, you know, people are trying to fill this gap where there are no gigs happening set lists can change an awful lot um, and you're not having to do the traveling so if you're just putting it on a gig you can easily get out there and crowdsource a list and um, Devin Townsend's been really good for this like I've really enjoyed some of the stuff he's put out getting together like a diverse set of musicians from all over the place I think he had people from Dillinger he's had people from Empath he's had people from Strapping come in and play stuff with him um, all sort of you know like from different parts of the world uh, and it's it's just been lovely to hear so many different bits of music from across his entire career. That's been really, really cool. And something that, you know, if you were going to see him live playing the Empath Tour, you wouldn't see. So I think that's a nice thing to take away from some of this is it frees people up to play a whole bunch of stuff out of back catalogues that maybe we wouldn't have got to see in another way. And like uh, like something worth mentioning, uh, this year, some of his early streams he did were raising massive amounts of money for hospitals around the world. Like, he donated a huge amount to... I think he donated about 10 grand to hospitals in the UK from one of his... Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he donated to the NHS. <laughs> yeah, and it's definitely been something that has, like, evolved a lot over the period. But, yeah, amazing to see that, like, just as a straight-off reaction, using that to generate money for a good cause. Because that was, you know, like right as the pandemic kicked off so you know you can forgive people not having a great tech setup yeah yeah is there any other cool live streams you've seen um i did quite enjoy the voices live stream again it wasn't one of those that um had like an amazing sort of stage setting or something but there's something weirdly intimate about feeling like you're in the middle of a band sort of doing a rehearsal uh and i found that pretty cool it's a it's a very weird experience but i did like putting that time aside to just sit down and like watch a show one i enjoyed and i'll bring it up because it's kind of fresh in my mind is um ishan and leprous did a really fun one together because ishan and leprous have had a lot of like ishan solo work has had a huge amount of overlap with members and people have left leprous to join him and vice versa they did a set together with two drum kits set up switching members back and forth and so it wasn't like an ishan set then a leprous set it was like three tracks from each and, like, actually, the Leprous stuff off the new album sounded quite good, so I somewhat <laughs> somewhat regret not checking that out. But, like, uh, Ishan played a really good variety of his stuff, like, getting both, like, the kind of newer and older in there. He played um, Frozen Lakes and Mars and Grave Inverted from um, from After, as well as some stuff off Amir and, um, and some of the newer albums. And Leprous played a really nicely varied set as well, um... Uh, ending on unsurprisingly contaminate me which is like one ishan's guested on also playing fawn which is another one of the great older tracks that ishan appears on there was apparently some serious technical difficulties going on like uh bard seemed to get massively confused in a few tracks and go like weirdly out of time which was i don't know it's kind of nice to see bard doing something human like fucking up so <laughs> like those guys are such robots live for just playing everything perfectly seeing them get kind of hamstrung for um <laughs> yeah like so, stuff going a bit off but it's still, still great and like if that's the extent of them fucking up a performance like <laughs> it was still really enjoyable there's been two really decent live album releases this year i've picked up Triptychon uh, put out Requiem live at Roburn, which was their performance with an orchestra, um, and it's it's excellent. Have you checked this one out, Rob? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I think I forgot that I even checked this out, but yeah, it's incredible. This has been one that I've come back to quite a lot, like watching a lot of Trypticon live because it's been a big thing. But yeah, the, the orchestra adds so much to it. Uh, I, it wouldn't necessarily be what I thought would work super well live with like Tom Warrior next to an orchestra. Something seems faintly wrong about that. But damn, this it's so heavy and it works so well. It feels so grand, which works so well for Trypticon. And actually, what I really like about it this feels like something he's been working towards since uh into pandemonium like that kind of like he's always wanted to be grandiose and over the top if we ignore cold lake um and this feels like him finally hitting that absolute like nth degree of making triptychon slash celtic frost the biggest like most yeah bombastic black metal slash doom band going (laughs) yeah and their live sound is simply phenomenal like the drums sound so on point like they're just textbook like you want some heavy metal drums like make them this big the guitar of course because tom warrior like smacks the shit out of it sounds incredible bass tone is so like dark and like grounded it's yeah really phenomenal one other um, absolutely brilliant live album. I think this is just an album. I've I, uh, at least only heard it. it was uh, Panopticon's Live Migration, which is uh, like um, I think for a really good summer of it, Punishing Brutality reformed for an end of year show, and Matt did an incredible review of it. So I'm going to be more or less echoing him. But yeah, this is just like absolutely brilliant live performance from the band some of the tracks to the point where they're better than their already pretty special studio albums um yeah it's it's absolutely brilliant and it's really cool to see a band like panopticon where they're primarily a one-man band lose nothing when translating to live when he brings in a backing band they just sound phenomenal Sorry, this has been a slightly long episode. I think there's just a lot worth covering, and I didn't want to sort of miss too much out. But yeah, this 2020 has been really interesting. I'm glad to see that the pandemic hasn't hasn't stopped amazing music coming out, and I think it's good to see a lot of musicians um, like morph to doing something slightly different to keep revenue incoming and keep themselves afloat. Obviously, most fans are doing this, but yeah, definitely better time than ever to be ordering your merch online from people because i imagine a lot of places are very hard up but hopefully next year we'll see return to things by festival time but you know we'll, we'll just have to see what happens with all of that but yeah it's great to see that this this doesn't seem to have phased the metal scene like bands are still still surviving and putting stuff out even if they're having to you know look to different avenues with it i think it's one of those things like with smaller music scenes like if you're not a mainstream music artist then like you know you've been used to having to make do with very little and not make much money off of anything for a very long period of time but the resilience the scene has shown when you know in lots of places across the world they've been pretty terribly supported during this like a lot of arts performers who have lost all pretty much their whole sources of revenue because they can't do live things anymore you know the support just has not been there so it and and that sucks and we need to change that but it's been really great to see that the community is much stronger than that and has still managed to pump out loads of great stuff keep loads of live things going on even in a different way um, and still see that there's loads of writing happening um, and potentially for loads of new stuff to be released yeah well so me and Rob will be back in two weeks with the uh, top 10 of the year 
But obviously, as usual, get in touch. Let us know what we've missed on this because we've missed like thousands of good releases. Obviously, there's going to be so many good ones. So yeah, hit us up um, at Phil's Breakfast Metal on Twitter, um, Phil's Breakfast Metal at gmail.com, or search for us on Facebook. And yeah, like uh, thanks a lot for joining us for a slightly longer one. <laughs> Devil can be too much a devil to be